Well, it's great to see you guys. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Romans. Romans is where we've been at for quite some time. If you've not been with us for a while or this might be the first time uh, here, what we've been doing over the course of several months is working our way through uh, this letter. Uh, Romans is actually a letter written by a guy named Paul. Uh, he sent it to the church that was in Rome at the time. And uh, we've been studying it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, having a good time doing it. Last week, we were in really the heart of chapter 9. And so the heart of chapter 9, really, we, we really bit off a big chunk. And that big chunk was, was, was a deep truth. And so we, we, we went heavy, and it was, it was deep, and, and uh, praying for clarity, praying that God would, would, would use His Word and, 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 and through His Spirit really bring to our minds and, and, and our heart the, the, the clarity and truth of, of what we talked about. And I just want to recap real quick, if you missed, or, or really kind of catch you back up, uh, just to kind of get your brain back on track here. We talked about the doctrine of election, um, that God is electing um, before the foundations of the world, some to be saved, not based on any merit or work or anything at all that that you or I do, but it's solely uh, a choice out of his sovereign good will. And so uh, we we worked through that, we talked through that, we saw in verse 11, it says that in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So again, his purpose of election is taking place not because of works, not because of anything I did or you did or, or anyone else did, but solely upon his mercy and grace. Verse 16, we read that so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And so again, it's not uh, the salvation that, that we have had the blessing of experience. It's not something that we look at and say, man, I did it, or, or man, I really, I really figured it out, and yay me, and woohoo, man, I'm really, I'm really tracking now. I, I did something good. I'm a pretty good guy. He says, no, 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 none of that actually happened. You're not a good guy. I'm not a good guy. At the heart of who I am, I'm a sinful man. And my salvation is completely uh, God's mercy. It's not my human will or my exertion. We read that Jesus actually says that no one can come to the Father unless the Father actually draws him unto himself. And, and God does elect some to salvation. So we, we affirm that and we, and we believe and we see that in Scripture. And, and at the same time, those who are not accepting Christ are actually rejecting him and that is their choice that is their you know that that's not something that God is making them uh, reject God is not making them sin they are in their own will saying no to Jesus rejecting Jesus and so realizing that that God is is sovereign in those he elects and sovereign in his will we accept his truth and and he gives us the example of Pharaoh Remembering Pharaoh, uh, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and yet Pharaoh, we saw, willingly hardened his own heart. And so this is what blows our mind, that Pharaoh willingly chose to rebel against God and, 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 and to make those decisions that he made. And at the same time, God's sovereign will is using Pharaoh to accomplish his greater purpose. So when we think about that, it leads us to the next question 
We read in verse 18, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he will. And, and, and so we, we think, you know what, this is, this is kind of, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does that mean that the person, you know, that, that, that's making these decisions, is, this doesn't seem fair that God would, would judge Pharaoh, would, that God would judge other people or condemn other people for those decisions if, if he is somehow controlling, you know, and predestining and, and all this is taking place. He's hardening and, and showing mercy. It kind of seems that God isn't fair. And so we, sh- we, we looked at this assumption that many of us make, and the assumption is that God is obligated to show everyone the same amount of mercy. Like he's, he's given, you know, this guy over here 100 pounds of mercy, and this guy over here only 5 pounds of mercy, and it's like, wait a minute, how can you blame the 5-pound, you know, guy if, if, if he didn't get as much as this guy? That doesn't seem fair, God. And, and again, we step back and, and, and we realize the assumption that we make is that God is obligated to show equal grace to everyone. And so if you think about that though, that naturally kind of takes us down this thought that if God is obligated to show all this grace and mercy equally, then it's not actually grace, is it? It's deserved. It's earned. He's, he's obligated to do something. It's not unfavored grace. And, and it ceases to be grace. And so, so we realize that, okay, God's, that he's not obligated to do that. And so we come back to the question, does that mean that these people should be judged? Is this fair? What, what, what is happening? And, and so he gives us this passage of Scripture to explain uh, the answer to that. So let's look at verse 19 and following. He says, you will say to me then, he's kind of anticipating your question and my question, why does he, why does God still find fault? For who can resist his will, God's will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? And has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Let's just pause there. Keep your Bible open. We're going to read a few more verses, but we're gonna, we want to look at this and see what is happening here. Because if... If, if salvation is completely a result of God's grace, which we, we already see and we saw, and he's having mercy on some and hardening who he pleases, then how can he find fault in the guilty? And he asks this question, who can resist his will? I mean, is this fair? Is, this, is, 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 is God able to blame people for their unbelief if he is actually the, the, the person that is making them not believe. Now, he asked the question, who can resist his will? I mean, that's a deep question. I told you you're going deep here. You know, it's like, it's like rocking our world. Some of us are with me, and it's like, somebody told me this week, one of our partners now, he was like, last week was kind of like riding the bull at Cotton Eye Joe's. He was like, man, I was like, woo, and I was on it, and then I was on, and I fell off, and then I was back on it, woo, I get it, and I get it, and then he fell off. It's like, I don't get it. It's like, okay, just ride the bull with me. Not a Cotton Eye Joe's, though. Don't go there. It's not a, it's not a different sermon. So, <laughs> anyway, just kidding. So, so, here's the deal. Can we resist God's will? 
I mean, that's a good question. Like, if God is predestining some for heaven, can, can we, like, say no to God? Can we resist his will? If God, listen, let's, let's go further. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sin. Could Jesus have said, eh, not my thing anymore, and said no? Could Moses have said, ah, I know that sounds good, but God, um... And, 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 and as a result, would the Israelites still be in captivity in Egypt today? I don't know. I mean, can we resist God's will? Man, that's a deep question. We've got to think through that. And, and as always, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? And so we, we, see, we take it from Genesis to Revelation, and we, and we, we know that con- uh, the Bible doesn't contradict its doctrine and its teaching. And so we want to understand what he is actually saying. But, but I, would, I would quickly answer this with, can we resist God's will? Well, it may appear that initially we are resisting God's will because we heard the gospel and we know maybe, ah, I need to accept Christ. I know I'm a sinner, but we said no. We clung on to the pew when you were 16, 17, you know. Or maybe you're still clinging on to that during the invitation, like, I'm not going to make a decision, no, 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 but you feel God tugging at your heart, and you say no. So initially, it may appear like we're, we're saying no, or we're resisting his will, but listen, God is sovereign, and, and, and he's in control. So, so God, when, when he sets out to accomplish something, it always comes to be. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not making free, willing choices because God holds us responsible for our decisions. God, God in, in some way that blows and rocks our mind, God can cause something to happen. And at the same time, I can voluntarily make a decision to respond and to follow and to do things. We all have, have, have experienced that we can sin if we want to. We can, we can do good if we want to. And at the same time, God is sovereign in calling and, 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 and leading and so think of it like this. If God is, is before, everything we've read is before the foundation of the world. So before we're born. So before the foundation of the world, God is electing those who are going to be saved. And, and so he, he does that for this guy. And let's just say that, that later on in this person's life, they actually are born and they're living. And, and they say no to Jesus when they were a kid. And as they grew up, they, they continue to say no to Jesus. And they're kind of in and out of church. And at and, 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 and the end of the, their life, they die and they never accepted Jesus. And they die and they, they, they go to hell. And then imagine if that were to actually happen, God is in heaven kind of scratching his head thinking, man, that didn't work well. It's like, I, I wanted to save him. I guess I didn't, you know, give him enough. Maybe I didn't do enough. And I wish I would have just, you know, maybe if I just could have got him to summer quest or maybe if he would have just went on to summer camp with the youth group that one summer, that would have been it. Man, I, I hate that. Urgh. Is that the God we worship? Is that the sovereign, all-powerful creator that we worship? Of course not. It's just like God's, if God wills it to occur, it will happen. And at the same time, we make that voluntary choice to follow and trust him. And so obviously blowing our minds, how, how does that all work? But the concept is called God's effective calling. God's effective calling that when, when, he, when we hear the gospel, that God is speaking to us in such a way that we will respond. And so, so when, when God calls us, we say, oh, yeah, absolutely, yes, I want to follow Jesus. It's God's effective calling. When he, when he calls us, we respond. We are choosing. The same time God is causing, we are choosing 
So the question is, how can God still find fault? Because if, if, if I'm responding to God's call, and, and, and it's like I can't resist that ultimately because of his sovereign will, how, how come he doesn't give it again to everybody? And I mean, and that's the question, isn't it? That kind of we wrestle with and we drink coffee and talk about it. Like, oh, what if God this? And what if God that? And man, here's what I think. And what do you think? And man, they do this. And we're reading books. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we, we, we don't have that explanation like written out. And at the end of the day, like I said last week, you can fall on one side and that's cool. And you fall on this side and that's cool. And it's, 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 it's like, you know, that's, that's your, you know, interpretation and that's fine. It's not a salvation issue you know, and so we don't fight about it here. We, we can talk about it and have good conversations, but we're not in this position to where we're like, you can't be here, or, or we're going to let people like fight about that. We're going to step in and say, look, this is crazy. People are, are going to hell. We're gonna, we want to reach them, and, and we can talk about this and, and, and if we want to in a healthy way. But here's what Paul says, because his response is, is probably not what you're expecting. We might be expecting here, oh, yeah, Great question, Paul. Please lay it out for us so that I can mentally understand how all this stuff is working so I can be a better person, you know? And Paul says, who are you? (laughs) Who are you to ask God or to blame God or to question God's will? He says, doesn't the the creator, and he says the potter, doesn't, doesn't he have... You know, the ability as creator to create however he wants. As a creator, doesn't he have his right to create whatever for whatever? And do we, as mere, like, finite mind, like, creation, can we even comprehend the why behind some of these things? The answer is, we truly can. So Paul's point is, God is sovereign, and we by faith trust him. And we by faith know what it means for us to accept Jesus and and we see in scripture what it means to follow Jesus and that ought to be our heart and that ought to be our pursuit. And to these questions he says, you know what, I've chosen not to answer that completely. And by faith we have to say, oh, okay. Think think of it like this. Um, How many of you guys have ever like made something out of clay? Anybody? Like in art class as a kid? You've made some kind of vase or some kind of whatever. I remember I was fourth grade, I think fifth grade, and uh, we lived in Cincinnati at the time and uh, Ohio, and our teacher was like, you know, we're going to do a project. You know, you're going to make something, here's some clay, make it, and we're going to paint it, and we're going to throw it in the kiln and, burn, you know, fire it and, and make it, you know, this beautiful creation. And I was all excited, and, and I was like, ah, what am I going to make? What am I going to make? You can make anything. And so I naturally thought, well, I'm going to make my mamaw an ashtray. <clears throat> See, my mamaw was a chain smoker. I mean, she smoked like a freight train. You know, all the time, mamaw had a cigarette all the time. And so she lived in Columbus, Ohio. All of my family and relatives are there. And, and she would come and visit us about an hour away. And, and mamaw would, would, she wouldn't smoke in the house, but she, she would always, you know, it's just, she smoked. And so she would always take a glass, you know, to like, do her ashes and throw, you know, the butts. And she'd use one of our glasses as an ashtray. And not just any glass, but for some odd reason, Memo chose to use my Bengals glass. You know, Cincinnati Bengals, that's an NFL team for some of you. I know they're not very good. They're not on TV. But back then, in the 80s, they were okay, especially 88, I know. But, but anyway, some of you are thinking, a Cincinnati Bengals glass, probably the only thing useful for that is an ashtray, Trent. So... <clears throat> Anyway, let's keep those conversations for later. 
Mama, she would, she, would, she would do that in my Bengals cup. And so as a kid, I'm like, come on. Because mom's pulling Kool-Aid in my Bengals class after Mama goes home. You know what I'm thinking? Can I go ashtray? It's, I'm drinking out of an ashtray. And all I can think about is the cigarette butts in there. I don't know if she cleaned it and all that. But I mean, are you, wouldn't that mess with you a little bit? It's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. But it was my Bengals cup. I love that thing. And so I thought, naturally, as a fourth grader, you know, I'm going to make Mama an ashtray so she doesn't, like, ash in my cup anymore, okay? Basically. So, so I do it and, and, and made it, and, man, it was beautiful. It was, it was, it, it was awesome. And, and it had the little, you know, rivets in the side, you know, so that if you wanted to take a puff break, you know, just lay it down. It would not fit nicely in the groove, you know. I thought it was awesome. And, and so, so I painted it. Guess what color? Anybody want to guess? You're all wrong. Scarlet and gray, okay? Because those are the Ohio State Buckeye colors. So, so anyway, you can root with them with me until Tennessee gets good again, okay? It's okay. <clears throat> I love the Vols. I'm a, I'm a big Vol fan, but I always have the Buckeyes when they're bad for the last 20 years. So anyway, so bottom was scarlet, okay? Inside was gray. I was so proud of this. Scarlet and gray, Mama is going to love it. So I bring it home, and, and I've, okay, background on my parents. My mom grew up with, on a farm uh, with her dad, my grandfather, who was a chain cigar smoker. So like her whole life, Phillips cigar. I can't even remember grandpa without a you know, stogie falling out of his mouth. You know, he was sleeping or whatever. Always smoked. So she couldn't stand smoke. She couldn't stand it. My dad, of course, his mom um, is, is Mama, who I'm talking about. She's a, she was a chain smoker. And his dad, my papa, was a chain smoker. So they grew up with that. And, you know, back then nobody knew it was, it was, it was bad for you. I remember uh, finding out it was bad for him. And, like, it, 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 you know, it causes cancer. And so me and my cousin one day went to the cupboard where she kept her carton of, of Winston's. And we took all of them out and all of them wrapped, ripped them open and threw all of them in the toilet <laughs> and, and tried to flush it and that doesn't work. So don't do that. Mamo's a sweet lady. Not that day. <laughs> Not that day. <clears throat> okay. So we, we had a good heart. We had good motives behind that whole deal. But anyway, it didn't work out too well. She, she kept doing that. And so, and so mom and dad, they, they just don't like it. And so when I brought home, my dad's a pastor. And so, you know, that's wrong. And so that kind of, whole kind of thing. And so I bring home an ashtray as a fourth grader. Just imagine my mom's response. Mom's response was like, oh, it's so wonderful, Trent. It's, it, it's an ashtray. It's just wonderful. It's, it's beautiful. Honey, why, why, I wonder, in the world, out of all the great things you could have made, you know, a cup, a vase, you know, a bowl of some why would you make an ashtray for mammal? And, you know, it's just kind of like, why are you doing this? And, of course, my response is, look, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking as a fourth grader in my head, you know, because if, if, if I see Mamma drop another cigarette in my Bengals cup, I'm going to slap the dentures out of her mouth. I'm going to throw it in the toilet. <laughs> Stop messing with my Bengals cup, you know. It's like, no, never do that. Mamma was awesome. But anyway, mom's like, I don't, I don't get this. That's like, this is just weird. What you, why, Trent? Of course, as the creator of the ashtray, I had purpose for that, right? Kind of side mode of purpose for what's taking place here. Nobody else kind of got it in the family. Mom and dad surely didn't get it. But as the creator of the ashtray, I had reason and purpose 
behind it, even as a, as a fourth grader. And so we come to God with all of these questions like, God, this, and how do you do this, God? And why do you do this, God? And, and demanding answers from God as if he owes us something in this world. He owes us nothing in this world. He owes us no explanation why he chooses some and why he, he shows his grace and mercy on some and, and why he chose you. He owes us no explanation. He is our creator. And so that's what Paul's response is to this deep question that that God is in control and we trust him. He is the potter. He is the creator. He is the author of life itself. And, And the creator has purpose and reason behind his design. So God would be righteous to not show any of us any mercy. I mean, put that in your pipe and smoke that for a minute, okay? It's like God would be just and righteous if, if he didn't save any of us. I mean, wouldn't he? Because we were all sinners. None of us deserve salvation. And so God is, 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 is showing and choosing to show his mercy to some. Now, verse 22, look at it again. Verse 22 is really a, uh, it's, it's a sad description of those who don't know Christ. But he says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Now, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. What, what does he mean by that? Well, uh, vessel of wrath is, is obviously pointing to those who, who don't know Christ, those who don't receive Christ into their life. And, and so prepared before or prepared for destruction can kind of can kind of throw us off is is God actually and this is called double predestination is God God predestining some to go to heaven and then he's predestining some to suffer in hell like God is saying okay you go to heaven and you 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 go to hell now now obviously you know when I read scripture I don't believe that I don't believe that God is doing that I see in 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 scripture all throughout Especially uh, in Ezekiel 18, it teaches that God has no pleasure in the death of, of the wicked. We see in 2 Peter 3, 9, God has no desire for even one person to perish. God is not like, you know, you know having fun that people are rejecting him. That, that is not the God of the Bible at all. Here's, here's what's taking place. This is, once again, a, a choice. And they are themselves preparing themselves for destruction because of their, their willingness to receive Jesus. And so the, the ownership has to be taken by those who reject Jesus. And, and, and for all of us, when we look at this, we see God's gracious mercy being given to us. And, and to that, our response ought to be, man, I don't deserve that. Man, I don't get that. I don't know why. And I just want to praise God as a result. And it should spur us to deep worship. It's a, it should spur us to share the gospel because we don't know who's going to say yes, who's going to receive Jesus. So I want, to, I want to be passionate about planning churches, about taking the gospel overseas, taking the gospel across the street because there are those who are lost and on their way to hell. He then says in verse 23, what, what if God is doing it to show off his, his power and to display his wrath so that the riches of his glory might be shown in vessels of mercy? Now, a vessel of mercy is you that have received Jesus, me. We're a vessel of 
mercy. And he says, you know, God's deeper plan is, is maybe he's desiring to show off his wrath. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't sound too cool of God to show off his wrath. It's like, what? Well, listen, God has many attributes. His love, his patience, his, you know, the fact that he knows everything, past, present, future. All of these attributes are worthy of our praise. His love and his mercy. And even his justice is worthy to be praised. Because it is right for God to, to judge sin. That is, that is a, a good thing. And we praise him that he always does what is right. And so in this, God is displaying his wrath. And he's making known his power. And he's showing this for you and I. Vessels of mercy. Now, one thing about this, as we talk through this, we can never, 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 never let the fact that, oh, we're Christians, and we have God's mercy, you know, we have Jesus, yes, we do, we have Jesus, and you don't. And I mean, what? That should never lead us to pride or arrogance or, or bigotry or, or, or a lack of concern for those who don't know Christ. It ought to lead us to our knees. It ought to lead us to our face, that I'm a vessel of mercy, That God has saved me. A sinner that did not deserve it, still does not deserve it, could not have ever earned it. And the same is true for you. Now he calls his his glory the, the riches of his glory. And by the way, our ultimate purpose, verse 23, to make known the riches of his glory. So so God's purpose is is, is that we are made to to know the glory of God, to to taste the glory of God, to just embrace the glory of God, and to make Jesus the center of all things in our life. And he says these riches, this this, this is deep. God's glory, it's it's, it's richness that we can't even comprehend. I mean, we think of riches on a a material basis, on a worldly standard, but God's riches are are far beyond our, our minds. That's why Jesus says to store up riches in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. This is something that is eternal. This is something that will be forever. The riches of his glory. Verse 24, look at it again. He says, even us whom he has called, not from the, not, uh, from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. His point here is, look, the, the Jewish nation, while chosen by God, um, today, this is not some elite group of people that we should all envy. Like they're cooler or they're closer to God than anybody else. He says this is not just for, you know, those who are, are, are Jews. This is for you and I, Gentiles. And so he, he's, he's opening the door wide for all. No matter what race, no matter what age, no matter where you live. He's like, this is not just a, a Israel thing. This is a anyone thing. This is God choosing. This is God saving. This is God's glory on display. And to prove that, he shows and, and reads uh, two passages from the book of Hosea. Let's look at it. He says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. So this is God saying, look, this is, this is me reaching out to a people that, that they were not seeking me. They did not you know, want me, they were not trying to find me, and yet I am reaching to them and showing my mercy to them. Verse 26, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. God, in his mercy, is saving those who 
aren't even looking for him. Then he quotes a passage from Isaiah. Look at verse 27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Proving again, remember a couple several couple weeks ago when we were talking about this, God's purpose when he called Abraham was not to save every single person in Israel, every single Jew that was ever born. That was not God's purpose and, and he never said that that was what he was trying to do. He always was saying it was, it, was, it was faith and he says here again, only a remnant will be saved. So just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you were a, a, you know, part of the family of God. It was a spiritual connection and faith in God that he required. Verse 28, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. As Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. In other words, you and I are just as bad as the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. They get a bad rap, don't they? People in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were like all the evil, bad people. It's like, oh yeah, we know that story. God, God burnt them up, you know? It's like, man, they judged and they were just wicked, bad people. And man, our country is headed that way. One day it's going to be that bad. Folks, you are that bad already. I am that bad already. We deserve the same amount of judgment that the people in Sodom and Gomorrah experienced. Do you, we, you, you realize that. You get that. Some of us think we're a lot better than we actually are. We think, oh, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty. No, 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 no. You are horrible person. It's like, thanks, Trent. Glad I came to church to get that out. <laughs> thanks, Pastor. Encouraging. Now, listen, here's, here's the good news. The good news is, yes, I am just as bad. And praise God, I am a vessel of God's mercy that he chose to say, Trent, I forgive you. And now I'm like stepping out of that. And now I'm like stepping into a relationship with him that I enjoy and that, that I have the promise of heaven and promise of new life and new birth. And it's like, God, I, I did not deserve that. And he's like, yeah, I know. And it's like, I showed that to you. And I'm like, this is amazing. And, and God, it all points to you. It all points to his grace. It all points to his salvation. It all points to his son. And it's like, yes, that is the point. The point of your salvation is not to point back at yourself and say, man, I was bad and, and man, I accepted Jesus and now I'm, I'm good. It's like, no. The point is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I heard a sad thing. <clears throat> I heard a mom say not long ago, I wish as my kids were growing up, I would have said the name Jesus more. Now listen, let's not... Let's not fall into that trap. Jesus ought to be mentioned every day in our homes. Every day we ought to be pointing our kids to Jesus. Every day you need to point yourself to Jesus. I know it's raining. I know it's dreary. But praise God, we got a roof and I don't see any leaks. And so, man, I get to worship here. And this is, you know, we choose to see what we want to see sometimes, don't we? And we want to, we want to focus our attention on Jesus. Jesus, realize our sinfulness, realize his mercy has saved us. He continues, he goes on to say, what shall we say then, in verse 30, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, 
that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. See, the question is, the Gentiles, they, they weren't looking for it, and, and, and they didn't, you know, they weren't like pursuing this law. They weren't pursuing God at all, and God chose to save them by faith. And then the Israelites, they were, they were choosing through the law to use that to say, you know, I'm pretty good, and I can, I can do this and that, and I can follow the law, and if I follow the law, then, then, then God will treat me as, as, as one of his friends. God will accept me. I'll be a good person. And he's like, no, 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 no. That didn't work. That didn't work. The, the law was never meant to, you know, follow all of these rules so that you can be a good person. It was always by Faith, and, and so he, he points us back to the object here that it is faith in Christ. And the Jews, at this time, many of them stumbled. They stumbled over Jesus. Why? Well, because here's my list of rules, and here's the law, and if I follow that law, and if I pursue this law, then I'm a good person, I'm righteous. And God's like, no, 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 it's not working, it's not working. That's, it's, it's, you're never going to be right. You're never going to earn it. But they continue to pursue it. And then Jesus comes along, the Messiah. And they're like, I don't need Jesus. I got the, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good guy. I kind of follow this and it's working out. So I don't need Jesus. And I don't, I, don't, I don't need saving because I'm okay. I don't need forgiveness because I kind of do these things on the Sabbath and I follow this. And so we stumbled over Jesus. They stumbled over Jesus. You see, the truth is a lot of us do the same thing. We call it legalism today. We create this list of, you know, follow this and do this and then God will like you list. You know, if, I, if, if, if you dress this way and look this way and, and talk this way and show up on these days, then you're going to be a good person, a good Christian. And, and if you don't, then God's not going to like you. He's not going to love you. He's going to actually judge you. And, and you know, you're, that, that's, that's pretty bad. And so here's, here's the list. And, and the list is not a biblical list. It's not like, here's what God says. It's like, oh, I kind of take this scripture and twist it to say, you know, uh, don't wear jeans to church and, you know, whatever. And it's like, what? It's like, you got to talk this way and don't say this and you better say this. And, and at the end of the day, it's just like stressful. And you don't know if you're, you know, if, if you're right with God or not God and you think every day, am I still a Christian? Am I still saved? Does God hate me? Does God love? And it's like a very confusing and very trying time in the life of people that are raised in a church like that or a family like that. Think of it like this. Now, granted, it's been raining, but before the rain, we had some pretty awesome days. It was beautiful. It was, it was some, some hot days. I, I know because I, I was outside working in the yard, you know, sweating. You, you know when you get out in the yard and it's just like really hot and you've got some work to do. You're mowing the grass, weed eating, you're pulling weeds, cutting some, I don't know. You're working outside, okay, and you're sweating. And it's hot, and you're thirsty, and you're like, oh man, I'm dying, I'm dying. You know, you, you want to take a break, but it's like, I can't take a break. I got to keep, I want to get this finished. And so you keep sweating, and you're, and, and you're still thirsty, and you're, you're sore, and you're tired, and, and you're dirty, and, and you're, you're just like, ah. And then your spouse or one of your children, no, stick with me. I know this is a stretch. Maybe one of your children walk outside with this big, tall glass filled with ice cubes. 
And in their other hand is this huge, big pitcher of lemonade. Now, you know this is going to be glorious lemonade because it's the kind of lemonade that they actually took time to kind of like cut slices of the lime and it's floating on top. You know when that happens, you know it's going to be good. Somebody took some time here. And so you see that coming your way. And so the glass is coming, the lemonade is coming, and they come and they pour that tall glass of lemonade. And you take a a big gulp of that sweet, amazing lemonade. And your taste buds are like, woo! And your body's like, oh yeah! And you just savor that lemonade. And it's just wonderful. And it refreshes you and it energizes you. And you're thankful for it. And you're just ready to tackle the next project. Now, think of that experience, and for that matter, every other good experience in your life, anything good that has ever happened to you, and realize that that is just a small appetizer to the glory and relationship that we experience in Jesus Christ. It just points us to Him. Why? Because is that lemonade on that hot day where you've working your tail off as it energizes you and refreshes you it is an appetizer to the fact that in my walk with Jesus he energizes me he refreshes me I am thirsty in this painful world and when I drink of him from his cup man I am refreshed and renewed and it is glorious and I enjoy it my body just loves it and my mind loves it and my taste buds love it and he's like that is what it's like to follow and walk with Jesus. For many of you, walking with Jesus on that hot day feels like carrying a 50-pound backpack up a mountain. It is not refreshing and glorious. It is not wonderful. It is not enjoyed because Jesus to you and walking with him is a bunch of rules and a list of do's and don'ts and you've missed the whole point of walking with the Lord. You see, the Jews stumbled over The stumbling block, Jesus. Some of you are stumbling over Jesus today as well. You're stumbling over a list of rules that maybe you learned growing up, and it's like, I got to do all this stuff, and Jesus is like, no, that's not, no, no, no. Relationship here. Some of you are stumbling over Jesus because you're like, you know what, God better answer me on this, and he owes me this, and he better answer this question, I don't understand all this, and God's like, I don't owe you anything you're stumbling over Jesus. Some of you are stumbling over Jesus because you think, well, I really kind of want the Jesus thing, but then I really want to make a lot of money and I really want to do well here and, and I got to spend my time and energy here so that I can go this way and do this and, and then I'll kind of give Jesus kind of the scraps of my life. Here and there, I'll trust and follow him from time to time. And it's your stumbling block. You're stumbling over Jesus when Jesus calls for a reckless abandonment of who we are to trust and follow him and God is doing big things in people in this room. He's calling you to big things and to do and to experience him in a deeper and more fuller way. And some of you are giving up on your dreams. You're giving up on the the idea that God could actually do something in you. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm too young or maybe I'm kind of too old. And so my time is kind of passing and God is like shaking you. And he's saying, no, 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 no. I am the refreshing, energizing relationship that you desire and need and only he can fulfill that in your life stop tripping over him and walk with him stop fumbling over him and and leading you to all these you know weird and bad places and 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 begin to embrace him in your life 
I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Some of you are, in fact, today, right now, stumbling over Jesus. The truth is, when we talk about Romans 9, God has not put this in our path to confuse us, to upset us. He hasn't put this in our path to take us out of a good place. He puts, us, put, puts this here and puts us here so that we can experience him in a fuller way. He puts it there so that we can trust him and follow him and love him for the mercy that he has shown us. Realizing that there is nothing that we can do. Realizing that there is nothing that we deserve. Realizing that it is only him that has saved us, that has changed us. And that points us to him. See, there's always going to be tension when we come to this topic of accepting God's sovereignty versus, you know, our responsibility to follow and trust him. There's always tension there. We're never going to relieve that tension. And even in this passage, I believe Paul's not trying to relieve that tension. It's, it's there, and, and we wrestle with that. And that's why it's called faith, because we trust Jesus. We trust that God is doing the right thing. We trust that God will always do the right thing. And, and as we experience that salvation, we love Him and worship Him and follow Him. And we abandon all to, to give to Him. And it leads us into a magnificent life to the fullest experience. And maybe that's what is causing you to stumble today. Maybe life for you is all about you. Maybe life for you is kind of about your kids. Maybe even God and a relationship with God is, is not really about God. It's really about how God can meet your needs and, and give you what you need. And for that matter, church isn't a place to come and worship God. Church is a place for you to show up and for people to take care of everything that you need. And my friend, if you are a believer in Christ, you are far from the truth. I believe wholeheartedly that God has brought you here for a reason, that God wants to use you in magnificent and great ways, but you've got to quit tripping over that plan and start accepting that plan. You've got to stop fearing that plan and start embracing that plan. As we close today, I want to encourage you to hear the words of this song, to worship in your seats, come to the altar to pray. For those who have never accepted Christ, we're going to have some counselors that are going to be standing to your right at this door. They'll be here. They would love to pray with you, encourage you, talk with you. Whatever God is doing inside your life and your heart today, I pray that we would, we would embrace him and what he's calling each of us to do this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your truth and who you are and for your word. And we ask, Lord, that in this moment that we would be able to follow and trust you. And Lord, for those who may be far from you, I pray that you would draw them closer. 
for those that need you, who have a heart that is crying out for healing, for growth, for a relationship to be restored. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would answer that cry. Encourage and bless them this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.